Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Hey guys, welcome back. I hope that you enjoyed that worship experience. Right now, we're going to continue in our series on uh, asking the question of who is this man? It's a series where we're exploring the attributes of Jesus. And the reason we're doing this is because I feel like we all have an idea of who Jesus is, but maybe our perception is wrong or skewed. And it's not, I'm not really blaming you if that's the case, but a lot of us have a perception of Jesus that is shaped by our, uh, our, our environments that we grew up in, uh, the stories that we've been told, religion, uh, maybe art or movies or whatever it is that we've seen, we, we have this wrong perception of who Jesus is. And so we're setting the record straight, going straight to God's word and understanding who he is. And uh, our key verse for this whole series is found in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, or verse 1 through 2, which, by the way, if you click notes down here, you can follow along with what I'm reading right here. They'll pop up right here. So 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 2 says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and, that's right, simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. So that's what we're doing too. We're keeping it plain and simple. We're talking about who Jesus is. That's what we've been doing the last five weeks. And uh, next week, we're gonna wrap up with week seven of this. That's Easter Sunday talking about Jesus crucified, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But today, we're going to explore a topic that, once again, just like last week, is a bit controversial. And it's a bit controversial because I'm going to make a statement that who is this man? Well, Jesus, he was God. The reason that that this is a difficult attribute for us to talk about, or maybe even here, is because culture, the world around us, tends to resist this idea But Jesus is God. But the world wants to tell us, no, Jesus was good. You said it wrong. He wasn't God. But that's simply not the case. They want us, the world we're in, though, says, you know, there are many gods and there are many ways and there's no absolute truth and that we have to be politically uh, correct and that we have to be okay with all the other religions in the world. And here's what I'm not saying I'm I'm not telling you to be disrespectful to any religion in the world. I'm, not, I'm telling you to love people right where they're at, no matter what they believe. But don't be that guy that is disrespectful because somebody believes different than you. But the world wants us to honor all of them as right and as true. But if we're making a declaration that Jesus is God, we simply cannot do that. So it's controversial. It flies in the face of culture today. And Jesus' claims do the same. They flew in the face of culture then, and they still fly in the face of culture today. The very first one he made is found in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And again, you can follow along here. It says, in the beginning was the word, and this is John, by the way. This is Jesus' best friend. He wrote, and he said, in the beginning was the word. And if you're looking over here at the verse, you'll see that that word, word, is capitalized. Word. What I mean is that it's a proper name it's almost as if it was a nickname for Jesus. So he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So if we put in, 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 in change the nickname there to just Jesus, because that's what he's talking about. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We drop down to verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. In other words, Jesus became human. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says clearly and plainly that Jesus is God. It says this also in the beginning of the Bible. If you go to Genesis, which Genesis literally means the beginning, chapter 1, verse 26, before everything was made, God said, let us make mankind in our image. Well, let me ask a question. Who is he talking to? If God is singular here, if it's just God, who's he, why is he saying let us? Makes him sound a little schizophrenic, doesn't it? There must have been someone else there with him. And the Bible tells us who that was. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. They are all God. And they were there. He said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky. So Jesus was there from the very beginning. He was God and he was with God. And as God, it says in John, 14, uh, John 1 verse 14 that he became flesh. He became human and he dwelt among us. He walked this earth as a man. And that, of course, is where our problem starts. Because the world doesn't have a problem with saying, Jesus, you know, in exploring where we've been in this series so far, saying, Jesus is my best friend, good buddy Jesus, right? Like, we like that Jesus. We also like Jesus, the one that does miracles, because, man, we need Jesus to come through every now and then for us, right? We need something from him, and Jesus, God, help me, right? So we like that Jesus is a miracle, man. We like he's our best friend. We like that he's a shepherd, that he provides for us. We like that, that he's a teacher, we, we like that. No, nobody draws lines at those. Where people begin to draw the line for Jesus was that he was God. They said, no, no, he was good, but not God. And the conflict, of course, exists because Jesus simply claimed to be God. John said he was God. Jesus said it himself. Now imagine if someone you knew, and you knew him really, really well, suddenly said, you know what? There's something I've got to tell you. I've been holding back on you for like 30 years. I'm the son of God. I mean, how ridiculous would that claim sound to you, especially if you had known somebody for so long? Would you believe it? Well, that's what Jesus did. He walked this earth for 30 years, and then he started telling people he was the son of God. He went around doing miracles and setting people, uh, setting people free from, from bondage of, of evil spirits and all kinds of diseases. He went around doing good, raising the dead. Like Jesus did amazing things. And nobody got upset at that until he said he was the son of God. And the problem is, is that because in this time frame, to claim that you were God was considered blasphemous. In other words, it was egregious to say it. It was sinful. And as a result, the, the, the religious leaders of the day, the pastors, they said that this was worthy of Jesus dying. In fact, in Matthew 26, verse 59, it says, the chief priests, by the way, that's the pastors of the day, were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Then they said, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. They're talking to Jesus. And in verse 64, it says, Jesus says, yes, it is as you say. So Jesus is here. Not only was, did, his, did John claim that he was God, Jesus claimed to be God as well. People didn't like it then, and people don't like it now. 
But Jesus didn't just claim to be God. Jesus also claimed to be the only way. You say, Aaron, the only way to what? Well, the only way to a relationship with God. In fact, Jesus claimed he was the way. He claimed that he was the truth and the life. Jesus' claim in John 14, 6, stating, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, meant that, that he was the only way to access a relationship with God. He was the only way to have a full and fulfilled life here on this earth. And he was the only way to eventually wind up in heaven. Jesus didn't say that I'm a way, which is what the world wants us to believe that. Well, he's just one of He's just, he's just a way to get to heaven. He's just a way to connect with God. Now, Jesus said, I am the way here in Ohio. We understand that. There was a few years back, there was a big what to do about um, the Ohio State University, and somebody had put their name in print, Ohio State University, and there was a big hubbub that went on. It was like, no, we are the Ohio State University. Now there are hats and t-shirts here in Columbus. You walk around, it just says the on it. That's all it says is the, and everybody knows what that means. It's, it's to imply prominence. It's to imply that there's none like it, that the, it's the only one, and I'm it. And the Ohio State University has a lockdown on being OSU. We are the Ohio State University. And Jesus said, I am not a way, I am the way. Culture says that this approach is narrow-minded, and I agree with you. I, I absolutely agree with you. It is a narrow way. Jesus was okay with this understanding. In fact, in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, he said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that, life, that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, culture wants us to believe that all roads lead to God, but they simply don't. Jesus said he was the only way. That's an outlandish claim. Now, we know what Jesus claimed. We know what culture has to say about him. But I'm gonna tell you this. The only thing that matters about Jesus is who you say that he is. Jesus knew that. And he asked his followers, his disciples, in Mark 8, 27 through 29, he said, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they responded simply this. They replied, well, some say that you are Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah and others still one of the prophets. He said, well, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? See, it doesn't matter who others say that Jesus is. It's who do you say that Jesus is? It matters. You say, why, Aaron? Why, why does that matter? Well, because who God is, whether that's the uppercase G, God, the God that's in heaven, or the lowercase gods of, of the rest of the world, it matters because who God is impacts three things about you that we talked about earlier this year in our series. It impacts your beliefs, it impacts your behaviors, and it impacts the outcome of your life, and that means the influence that you have. It matters. Whoever is sitting at the center of your life, whatever God that is, whether you make that God money or sex or religion or whatever stuff, your spouse or whether that's Jesus, it all matters because it impacts what you believe, how you behave, and the outcome of your life. If one of your gods, if what's at the center of your life is a Hindu God, Buddha, Allah, 
maybe even you or Satan, all of that impacts your behaviors, your beliefs, and your outcomes. And according to Jesus, who you say God is not only impacts your life here, but it impacts your eternity in heaven. So what do we do with Jesus? Is he God? Well, Jesus said that he was. Now consider this. This claim that Jesus made that he was both fully man and fully God, and also the only way, the way, means three things. That Jesus was either one of these three things. Jesus was either a liar, which means that he was a real man and he made it all up. He did it just because he was trying to get power. He was trying to confuse people. Uh, he, he was looking for something else, maybe to manipulate and control an environment. Uh, that, that, that He was just a liar. Or maybe he was a lunatic. You know, maybe he was delusional. Maybe he really believed, had visions of grandeur about himself, and he was just completely off. He was actually insane and needed some mental help. Or the third thing, if he wasn't a liar and he wasn't a lunatic, then the third thing is that Jesus must have been Lord. He, if he's God, and he is, that means a few things for us. Jesus is God. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says this. Therefore, this is about Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That means there's, there's no other name. It's not Hare Krishna. It's not Allah. There is no other name that compares to his name. There's no name that is higher, and that, uh, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God. So you say, Aaron, I, all right, if I can land on that with you, what is the difference between God, Jesus, and other gods? Well, I would say that, that really we could talk a lot about the different religions that are there, but it boils down to one word, and that word is experience. Your experience with those gods and our God would be vastly different. And in fact, I believe there are, only four, there are four things that only our God, through Jesus, wants for you to have. And the first thing he wants you to do, and it's all about your experience, is he wants you to experience his power. Not just know that he's powerful, right? Like, did you have a knowledge? Yeah, God's powerful. We believe that, right? If you believe in God, you believe he has power. That's the nature of God or a God, right? That he is, has power. But it's not just knowing that he has power. It's about experiencing his power. In the Bible, there is a blind man who Jesus encountered, and he wanted to have his sight restored. And uh, Jesus, he spits on the ground. He makes some mud, a mud pie, and puts it on the guy's eyes and tells the guy to go wash his eyes. And when he does, his sight is restored. Now, the religious leaders and the pastors of that day doubted exactly what he said happened. And they started investigating the miracles of Jesus and his claims. And they asked the blind guy, and then they went to his parents, and they're like, was he really born blind? And they were like, yeah, he was blind. They were like, well, how does he see? And they're like, we don't, we don't know. Go, go ask him. And so they go back to the blind guy in John 9, verses uh, uh, 17 and 25. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. They said, what have, have you to say about him? So they're talking about, to the blind guy about Jesus. And he replied, well, whether he is a sinner or not, because see, they were trying to catch Jesus in a sin, the sin of blasphemy, trying to catch him doing wrong. The blind guy said, I, I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know. He said, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He said, I was blind, 
but now I see. In other words, this is how I was. I experienced the power of God, and now I see. He experienced the power of God through Jesus. And I believe, man, we as a people need to experience God's power. And he wants us to experience that through his son, Jesus, especially in an environment that we find ourselves in currently with the coronavirus. Man, we need God's power in our lives to find a healing (coughs) for those of us that are sick, to find a cure, to have this thing eradicated from the face of this earth. And then the impacts that have come from that jobs, finances, uh, it's some semblance of normalcy, being able to get out of our ha- houses, having relationships restored, our kids going back to school. Blessed be the Lord, God Almighty, be it unto me according to your power that is at work within me. Let our kids go back to school. And everybody out there typed in the chat box and said, amen. Yeah, that's right. Let our kids get back to the schools, man. Some of us, others of us, even before this, this tragedy hit, we needed a financial breakthrough. We, we needed a job. We needed a cure to an illness. We needed, uh, in, this, in this coronavirus, we need toilet paper. We need, but we had maybe a, a health issue. We have a relational issue. We just need peace. And we can experience all these things when we experience God's power in our lives. The greatest power available to us through Jesus is not something, a healing in your body. It's something that's more a healing for your spirit. And that's through the power to forgive sins. Because only Jesus has the ability to do that. Only Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. Only Jesus was able to swap his life for ours. And he did that when he laid his life down for us on the cross. He died in our place. He paid a price for us that the only way you and I could have paid it is with our eternity in separation from God. Jesus paid that price for us. And he did that because he had the power to do it. Man, that's some power. We need to experience his power in our lives today. And that experience of power is not just for us. Not only does he have power for us, but he gives us power so that other people can experience him as well. (coughs) You see, Jesus' plan was to come, live this life here, to die, to resurrect, and then to go back to heaven. But his plan was not to leave us alone. His plan was to leave us with power. We see that in Acts verse 1, 8. This is Jesus talking. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. See, the power wasn't just for them to have healing, not just for them to to be forgiven. The power was for them to be able to tell others about him. Man, once you experience God's power, once you experience that power to forgive you, once you experience that power to transform your life, his power comes on you to tell others. Just like the blind man, he said, I was this, bam, that power hit me, and now I'm this, and he went around telling everybody about Jesus. Our story can be just like that. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was addicted, I experienced God's power, and now I'm free. My marriage was dying, but now it's thriving. My kids were off going crazy, but now they've got their minds right again. My health was failing, but now I'm whole. I didn't have a penny to my name, but now all my needs are met according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Man, that's good preaching right there. I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited right here, and I'm in a studio all by myself. We used to sing a song about the power that was found in Jesus. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah, there is power, power. There's power. I apologize for my singing skills. I know you didn't think I would preach this like this to the camera, but uh, 
I'm all fired up today, and I promise you, there's power, and we need to experience his power today. So right now, here's what you can do. If you need to experience God's power in your life, here's my challenge. Hit that prayer button right now. Hit that prayer button. Our, our service host would love to pray with you about whatever that need is. If you need to experience God's power right now, you can do that in whatever way. I, I, you, can, you can come back and watch me later. This service will be re-aired somewhere. But hit that prayer button right now and get some prayer. See, his power, when you experience it, it changes us and it changes others. The second thing that, that I believe that we would experience only with Jesus is we can experience his presence. There's no substitute for God's presence in our lives. In fact, I would tell you this, that, that if you are looking for the greatest way to experience God's presence, it's through per- times of personal worship. It's where you choose to engage the God of creation, tell him how much you love him, and just press pause, thinking about how great he is, how good he is, worshiping him. But then also there's worship that's expressed in our lives where we take everything in our lives and we point it towards him. We can experience his presence. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, in other words, speaking life, and edifying the church, building him up. He said he will, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. See, what, what would cause him to say that? Experiencing the presence of God. God's presence, when it's experienced, changes people's lives. And the presence of God, God being with us, is one of God's greatest desires for us. You'll see this in the beginning of creation. God walked daily with Adam. It was God's desire and design to walk with us. But sin entered in and separated us. But as we go through the Bible, we see there's even more. There's characters that valued the presence of God so much. Moses was one of them. In Exodus 33, 15 through 16, he said, Moses said to him, talking to God, if your presence does not go with us, They were going to go out to war. He's like, I don't even want to go. Don't send us from here. After Moses died, the people came to Joshua and talking to him about what kind of leader they wanted him to be. They said, listen, we need you to be a leader like Moses. And we need you. The most important thing we need you to have is God's presence in your life. See, God's presence with us is what led Jesus to come to this earth. In fact, one of Jesus' nicknames, one of the names that they, would, that they prophesied that he would be called would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. His presence matters. At Simple Church, people share that their hearts are touched every single Sunday, whether it's through this online campus or being in this building, it doesn't matter. But that when they engage in worship, when they engage in listening to the word, that their hearts are touched, that they experience something that they can't describe anything other than there's something in that room. There's something in this room right here with me now. And you know that. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. God's presence is with us and he's with you right now. You don't have to be in a church in order to experience God's presence. You are the church and his spirit is everywhere. He is with us. And that's one of my prayers for you, is that you encounter the very presence of God because I know that that will transform you. Presence can go with you. God's presence can go with you no matter where you are. And God wants you to experience that, not just in a building on Sunday. He wants you to experience that every day and every moment of your life. So we can experience his power. We can experience his presence through Jesus. 
And then we can also experience his peace. Man, the, the best way to do this is, if you're making any side notes, is to do this through prayer. But man, what a thing to know at a time like this, that when the rest of the world is panicking, you don't have to behave like them, that you can walk through all of this uncertainty with peace. Why? Because you know that God is with you. He is the God of peace. Jesus said this, it's his desire to give you peace, that you experience it. In John 14, 1 and verse 27 as well, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Which by the way, when, when he talks to you that way, you need to know that letting your heart being troubled is a choice. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. The opposite of that is trusting God. So he said, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust God. There's the antithesis of it. Trust also in me, he said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Uh, but I don't give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus said, I've got a peace for you that is nothing like what anybody else has for you. It's not like what the world has. If you're looking for peace in the world today, it's buying up a bunch of hand sanitizer and toilet paper. That's what people are doing for peace right now. That's it. They're watching the stock markets. They're doing all kinds of stuff looking for peace. And Jesus is like, I got you, bro. I got you. And I got a peace for you that isn't like anybody else. You want to walk through this different. You need to experience the peace that Jesus has. In the Bible, he's known as the Prince of Peace. He desires to give you peace. You know, as I talk to people, not only through this coronavirus pandemic, but also anytime, and they're not experiencing peace in their life, my question is, how are you praying about this right now? How are you talking to God about it? What are you, what are you saying to him? And more often than not, when people are not experiencing peace, their response is, well, I'm not talking to God about it. I haven't been praying about it. And, and my response, I want to say to him every time, I know. And the reason I know and the reason I can respond that way is simply because of this verse found in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, don't worry about anything. Which, by the way, worry is also a choice. Worry is also a trap, by the way. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, here's the antithesis, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience, you want God's peace? Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. The Bible doesn't promise that you're not gonna go through stuff. What he does promise is that you, he'll be with you and that he'll give you his peace. You can experience his power, but even if God doesn't move on your behalf, he'll be with you and he'll give you peace. You need those things. We all need those things. We need it. He promises his presence and his peace if we will pray about it. So stop worrying and start trusting, resting in his power. Man, rest sounds like what so much of what we need right now in our lives. It's rest. It's peace. You'll have peace if you'll pray about it. That passes all understanding. It means you won't even be able to explain it to others. Some of you right now in this coronavirus pandemic, you're walking through it different than other people are. While they're out there panicking, you have peace. All of us need that right now. Choose to trust God by praying about everything. And check this out. 2 Peter 1, verse 2 through 3. This, is, this would be my, I'm wrapping up moment. May God give you more and more grace. Man, I need more and more grace. And I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me. May God give you more, and not just more, but and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. So as you get to know God better, may you have more grace and more peace. Yes, please. 
by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And thank God for that because it's not within me to do it. He says, we have received all of this by coming to know him. That's coming to know Jesus, coming to know him as God. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Listen, we can experience God's power. We can experience his peace. We can experience his presence. But only if we do this last thing, it's if we experience his salvation. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And he offers you salvation today. In this moment, he offers it to you. So here's the challenge. Trust him with your life. That's what salvation looks like. Jesus paid a price for you that you could not pay for yourself. He paid for your sins so that you could be restored into relationship with God. And the way for you to do that is just by accepting that gift, choosing Jesus, I'm gonna make you Lord of my life. That means you're in charge. That means I'm gonna do things your way. I'm gonna follow after you. I'm gonna say yes to whatever you tell me to do. Make him Lord today. You say, Aaron, how do I do that? Romans 10, 9 tells us this, and then we're gonna pray. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how about you? This is your moment right now. You have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to experience his salvation so that you can experience his power, his presence, and his peace. If you're here in this moment and you know you're ready to know Jesus, you're ready to know that Jesus is God and you're ready to make him Lord of your life, that doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect, by the way. That means that you're going to pursue, you're going to make progress towards Jesus with all of us. That's what all of us are doing here, me included. If you're ready to do that, I'm ready to pray with you. And so here's what I'd like you to do. If you're gonna make that commitment today, there's a button on the screen that says, raise my hand. Click that button right now, raise your hand. Let us know that, Aaron, I'm making that commitment today. Do it now, click now, don't wait. I'm gonna make that commitment today and I'm gonna pray with you, I'm gonna give you the words. And all you need to do is mean them from your heart. Just say this, say, Jesus, I need you. Step into my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new today. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now I'm gonna pray one more moment for those that, that, that are, are here as well, those that are following us that need a taste of God's power and his presence and his peace. So Lord, I pray for the rest of us. Lord, may we in this time of uncertainty experience your power. Make provision in every way possible for us, Lord. For every prayer request that was uttered today and is on the heart of every person listening, Lord, I pray that you move on their behalf, Lord. I also pray, God, that your presence would be with each one of us in a very tangible and real way, God, that we would know and sense that you are with us. And then, God, I pray this. I pray that your peace would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, Lord, that that peace that passes all understanding would be ours, that instead of panic, we would have peace. Instead of worry, Lord, we could trust. God, help us to do that. Move in our lives today in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now listen, if you made that commitment today, if you threw your hand up, I would love to ask you to do one thing and that's to click on our connect card, fill that out, mark the spot that says I said yes to Jesus today. Again, we would love to just celebrate with you and resource you uh, with what your next steps can be and, uh, and, and to help you along 
that spiritual journey. A couple things I wanna make sure we do before we exit today. I know I mentioned the giving tab is here and usually at the end of the service, we would, we would give you an opportunity to give and this is it. Uh, for those of you, I have talked to so many of you that have been able to give online, but there's quite a few of you that said, Aaron, what do I do uh, if I'm, I'm not comfortable using a credit card and I'm not use, comfortable texting to give or using those online methods, what do I do? Because the church building's closed. That's a great question. Thanks for asking. You can also mail in checks as well. You can mail to P.O. Box 1606, and I'm hoping that this will appear over here in the chat box. Somebody can type that in for us. P.O. Box 1606, Reynoldsburg, Ohio, 43068. Just make it out to Simple Church, the envelope, and it'll get to us, and we'll be able to take care of that. We appreciate your heart. We appreciate your generosity. We thank you so much. We're working on some really big stuff this week. We're working on being, uh, figuring out how we can be a blessing to our first responders here in the city and to medical workers, and so there's some big stuff coming uh, I'm very, very excited to tell you about that, but we're able to do all these things because of your generosity. So thank you so much for being faithful in a time like this. We celebrate you. We celebrate what God is doing in your life. A few things you need to know about before we log off is that this service right here is being broadcast on Sunday mornings in every time zone at 10 a.m. That means no matter where you're at in the country, there's a 10 a.m. service uh, that, will, uh, that will air, and it's this one right here. That means that anybody on the West Coast, you can still invite your friends to it. Those that are out in California and Alaska and Hawaii, there's also a service in their time zone at 10 a.m. as well. That also means that if your friend missed it today, there's an 11 a.m. service. There's a 12 p.m. service if you're on the East Coast. There, there's a 1 p.m., a 2 p.m., 3 p.m., and a 4 p.m. service. There's seven services airing back-to-back on the hour every hour starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So you can still invite people to attend a online service. Also, we have a Bible study, a mid-morning Bible study that happens 11 a.m. Eastern time every day, Monday through Friday, and we would love to meet you there. We also have a Tuesday evening one that just launched this past week at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we would love for you to join us for that. All of that information can be found at attendchurch.online. We would love to see you there. So let me do this. Let me just pray, and we will dismiss. Lord, thank you again for this gathering. Thank you, Father, for your peace and your presence and your power that is at work in our lives. Thank you so much also for the salvation that you offer us through Jesus. Lord, be with us this week. Protect us, Lord, all of us from the coronavirus. Keep us safe. Heal our bodies, Lord. And, uh, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. We will see you right back here next Sunday at our online campus for Simple Church. God bless you. Uh-huh.